2: In April of 1922, in a small corner of the Bronx in New York, there were curious questions about what might have happened to Miss Jenny Becker, a hardworking, stay at home mother of four who fiercely loved her children. On April 6, she and her husband, Abraham Becker, had attended a party together. On April 7th, Abraham was telling friends and family that Jenny had left with another man. She left her husband, kids, and life for a mystery man. She would never be seen alive again. Was this a love triangle gone wrong? Or is there something more sinister about? Let's go over the case. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forgotten True Crime by Oki Investigations, the true crime podcast where we tell stories of crimes that happened long ago. If you're a true crime fan, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way, when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Also, check us out on our YouTube and Facebook pages, Forgotten True Crime. Visit our blog, truecrime.blog That's where we post many of the cool things that we found for each episode This episode, 7 Feet Deep, has a lot of exciting stuff to dig into Make sure you go there and check it out The links are in the description below I will say on this episode, there's a lot of photos and everything So make sure uh, when the YouTube video comes out and everything Definitely check this one out Parts of the story may contain opinions and speculations and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Today's story was one that I waited on telling for a while. I waited on this because I knew one day we would have to make a few purchases for documents and information that kind of goes along with this case. What we found is some really great stuff and amazing insight on what it really took to investigate this case in the 1920s. You have to remember that everyone that had anything to do with cases that are hundreds of years old, like this one, there's no one alive anymore that had anything to do with this case. So it's, it's lovely to go through things like notes and documents that show the reasoning behind things. But let us start where this story begins, which is oddly enough, seven months after Jenny had left her husband, Abraham. Letters began showing up in the mailboxes all around town where Jenny Becker once lived. They were from her mother, who lived in England. Jenny's mother was worried because she had not heard from her daughter since April. It was not like her to drop all contact, and she feared that something might have happened to Jenny. By this time, the news of Jenny leaving Abraham was less of a shock than it was at first. Everyone knew that Abraham was a hard man to deal with, and if Jenny chose to fall in love and run away with someone else, then who's really to blame her? The one thing that always bothered one neighbor, Miss Rebecca Baldwin, was why on earth did Jenny leave her children behind? Abraham was not a caretaker. He was the type of man who always thought about himself. When it came to taking care of their four children alone, he had them committed to an asylum instead of taking care of them. Their children were placed in the Hebrew Orphan Asylum after Jenny had left. Now, the Hebrew Orphan Asylum sounds like an awful, awful place. I did some research and found that in the early 1900s, the Hebrew Orphan Asylum was always filled with thousands of children, and they had little to care for them all. Very few children were adopted here because they were children from one-parent homes. They weren't really up for adoption. Their mother or father couldn't care for them, so... They took them to the Hebrew Orphan Asylum and used it as a boarding school. Miss Rebecca Baldwin refused to accept that Jenny would leave her children with their father. She knew that Jenny's disappearance was not news to the police. Uh, Jenny's husband, Abraham, who everyone in town had actually called Abe, went to the police just days after Ginny left, and he reported her missing. And they all believed the story that she had left with another man. So Rebecca did something not a lot of people would do at the time. She named herself the detective on the case. Shortly after Ginny was reported missing, Rebecca began talking to friends and neighbors about what they knew Of the situation. She wrote down everyone's statements word for word. She asked how they came to know that Jenny had left Abe, and they all had the same answer. Well, Abe told them, but it was what he said to them that didn't make any sense. Some of the neighbors said Abe said to them that Jenny had left with another man during the April 6th party. Others stated that it was after the party that Abe said that she had left. Others who spoke to Abe on the morning of the 7th state that Abe claimed that, well, he got rid of his wife. Rebecca knew that Jenny was a devoted mother. There were times in the past when Abe would have mishandled the family's account or wasn't even there altogether. And they had no money for food. Jenny would go out and beg for food for their children so they didn't go hungry. It's just the kind of thing a loving mother would do. In the months after Jenny had disappeared, Abe then brought another woman into his house, Anna Elias, who was a beautiful 24-year-old woman, and he restarted a relationship with her. Yes, I said, restarted. You see, in 1920, Abe had left his wife, Jenny, for Anna. He and Anna were having a baby together, and he wanted to marry her. The only problem was that he was still married to Jenny. When the two couldn't wed, that is when Anna found out that the man that she had been spending all this time with, and was having a baby with, was a married man. He had never told her about Jenny or his four other children. Anna told Abe that there was no way she would live a life with a married man. If he was ever single, they might try again. Abe then returned to Jenny, who let him back into the home. Partly because she loved him and partly because they needed the income in the house to feed the children. Rebecca Baldwin wrote every little detail down. She marked the day that Anna started living with Abe. And she continued to wait for the day that she received just a little more evidence. And then she would go to the police. Rebecca looked for any signs of Ginny. Where she supposedly went to go live with this unnamed mystery man. But Rebecca never found her. But it was when she received the letter from Jenny's mother, who so desperately wanted to hear from her daughter, that she decided to take what she knew to the police and hope that someone would listen. When Rebecca walked into the police station, officers treated her very skeptically. Although they reported Ginny's disappearance, they had largely forgotten about it. It wasn't until District Attorney Edward J. Glennon and Assistant District Attorney Albert Cohn had sat down with Rebecca that they started putting the pieces together. Rebecca was able to outline the entire timeline of events, She handed Edward the many different statements that Abe had given the neighbors, and she even included the names and addresses of everyone. She then told them about the state of the children, and that Abe had been living with Anna almost as soon as Jenny was out of the picture. Now, it did seem that, by this time, Anna and Abe had split up, because she had then moved back out of the home. At the behest of the district attorney, Edward Glennon, officers in the Bronx quickly moved in on Abe's home and arrested him. Several detectives then started moving in with copies of the names and addresses of the neighbors who gave statements to Rebecca. They wanted to back up her claims with that same evidence to make sure that everything she presented them was well on the up and up. Slowly but surely, they found that everything that Rebecca gave them was the truth. I can't state this enough. What Rebecca Baldwin did for this case was nothing short of amazing. The detectives on the case said that her work was better than most detectives. I'm surprised they didn't offer her a job. With witness statements in hand, District Attorney Edward Glennon decided that it was time to confront Abraham Becker. Abe was a calm person. He didn't let a lot get to him. And it was this cool and calm demeanor that really made things difficult when interviewing him. He flat out refused to acknowledge that anything might have happened to his wife. He told officers that she had left with another man, and that he really didn't know where she was at this moment. The district attorney pressed Abe for more information on his movements on April 7th, the day after the party. Abe thought about it for a moment and then began to tell them about that day. He stated that it started just like any of his other work days. He got up, got ready for work. Jenny was still there at home. He was a truck driver and he started his work day at 7.45 in the morning. It wasn't until that afternoon that he discovered that Jenny had gone missing. He reported this disappearance to the police, but he then received a letter from her some days later, stating that she had moved to Philadelphia. At this moment, District Attorney Edward Glennon began to suspect that Jenny might no longer be living. You see, Abe had just contradicted some of the witnesses. One witness, Harry Simonwitz, stated that he ran into Abe on the morning of the 7th. Abe was in a great mood and said, Harry, congratulate me. I got rid of my wife. At the time, Harry thought it was just kind of a funny, dark humor. He believed the story that Ginny left Abe. That was until the rumor started going around town. Abe denied any involvement in Jenny's disappearance. He wanted to disprove what others were saying about him, so he told the officers about his friend that he had seen on that day to just kind of back up his statement. He told the officers that they needed to speak to Reuben Norkin and that he would set them straight. On the night of Jenny's supposed disappearance, he told the officers that he was with Reuben, although he couldn't give them a real answer as to why he was with them. Reuben had an auto shop and a dump. The officers asked if there was something wrong with Abe's car, and he told them no. But he did tell them that he brought his trash to Reuben's dump regularly. The district attorney felt as if he had enough to hold Abe on suspicion, and they brought him in front of a judge who assigned a $10,000 bail. They then locked him up at the Bronx County Jail. The most interesting thing about this was that few guards patrolled the corridors of this part of the jail. So the inmates felt very comfortable speaking freely about their crimes and what they were accused of. When Abe was placed in his cell, he was pestered into telling the other inmates why he was there. Abe told them that they were looking for his wife. They asked what happened to her, and he shied away from saying anything until he heard others talk about their crimes. So Abe finally spoke up when asked again what happened to his wife. All he would say was, the police will never find her. I hid her away and they won't be able to find her. Abe then asked how he could get a message out of the jail. He needed to contact a friend, Ruben Norkin, and get a message to him. The inmates asked who he was, but Abe stopped talking when they didn't tell him how to contact his friend. The thing that Abe didn't realize was that every inmate around his cell were police officers. They went undercover thinking that Abe would do something stupid and freely talk about his involvement in his wife's disappearance. They also had a stenographer in a cell next to him taking down his statement word for word. They now knew some major things here. They knew that Ginny is more than likely dead at this point. They also knew that Ruben Norkin was someone they needed to talk to, and they thought that the visit that he had on the night of Ginny's disappearance at Ruben's shop might be the key to the whole thing. Officers were dispatched to Ruben's shop They brought him in for questioning without any resistance. Reuben was a lot like Abe, calm, cool, and collected. But when they got him into the station, Detective James McCartan thought that Reuben's demeanor was all an act. All day and all night, they questioned Reuben about what he knew about Jenny and Abe. At first, he acted indifferently. He would say things like, What do I care what happened to her? Or, If Abe killed her, what does that have to do with me? As the hours went by, Reuben Norkin slowly started saying more and more. He still denied having anything to do with Ginny's disappearance, but he let on that if they were looking for her, They should perhaps start digging in the dump around his shop. Right away, Detective James McCartan took Reuben to this shop, and then they walked out into the dump. Soon, several officers showed up as well, all with shovels in hand and ready to dig. The detective looked to Reuben and asked, where do we dig? Reuben then looked around and led them to a spot. They started digging, but it wasn't long before they stopped. They knew that this was not the right spot. The dirt was packed and had been clearly undisturbed for quite some time. The detective began to walk around the dump and nearer still to the sidewalk and the building he probed the ground with a stick to see how soft it was. When the stick went into the ground with a little trouble, the detective looked at Reuben. Before he could even ask if they should dig in this spot, he saw the look on Reuben's face. He was pale and looked horrified. They didn't need to ask him anything more. The officers began digging down. As time went on, more and more people gathered along the sidewalk to see what was happening. Newspaper men had been tipped off to the story and snapped many pictures as the officers dug deeper and deeper. Hours later, they had reached nearly seven feet into the earth and moved out several large rocks from the pit. It was then they found a badly decomposed body. Detective James McCartan believed that they had just found poor Jenny.
3: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5 hetravel at 5-HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5-HourEnergy.com and use code 5 he to save
2: 20%. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments. The body that was found was covered in a white substance. It didn't take long for officials to figure out that this substance was indeed lime. The detectives believed that the killer or killers thought that the use of lime on a dead body would quicken the decomposition rate and mask the odor. It probably masked the smell pretty well, but lime won't quicken the decomposition rate. In fact, It will actually slow things down and preserve the body. This is actually something that is not uncommon today. There are people that still believe that lime will decompose a body quickly. The body in this lot was preserved very well. If it was Miss Jenny Becker, she had been down there for about six months and she was mostly still there. As detectives removed the body from the ground, reporters quickly took pictures of everything happening. There's actually photos of a huge crowd surrounding the dump and just watching everything going on. The body was transported to the morgue and detectives began to question Abraham Becker once again. They told him about finding the body in the lot. This was the first time detectives were able to almost break him. Abraham flinched at this news and said, I guess the jig is up. But instead of confessing, he stuck to the story that his wife had left him. It was almost it was almost as though that that story was his only chance of freedom, and he was going to hang on to that with all he's got. The detectives then took Abraham over to the morgue to identify his wife when he walked into the room. Her body was on the examination table. Although her features were no longer clear, her clothing was in remarkable shape for being in the ground for six months. Abraham showed no emotion when he looked at the body. He then told the police that it could not be his wife... His wife was a much larger woman than this. He said to them that she didn't wear these types of clothes. Abraham moved closer to the body and examined the woman's teeth. He then looked back to the detectives and told them that his wife had perfect teeth and this woman did not. He knew for a fact that this was not his wife. Not deterred, detectives removed Abraham from the room And then that's when they brought in Rebecca Baldwin. Rebecca was visibly upset to see the body. She was cautious and went over everything. She identified the body as Miss Jenny Becker. Not only did she recognize her features, but she also recognized the clothing as belonging to Miss Becker. They then brought in many others who knew Miss Becker very well and they all stated that they had seen Miss Becker in those very same clothes many, many times. The only person who could not identify her was the one person that was accused of murdering her. With the discovery of Jenny Becker's body came several changes in the case. They now had hard evidence that Jenny was murdered. They arrested Reuben Norkin... It was hard to believe that he would not have more to do with this. The body was found next to his shop on his property, and it was likely that this was the exact murder scene. They also began getting requests to keep digging in that vacant lot. There were girls from that time who had gone missing around the area. People started wondering if there were more bodies just buried out there. So detectives started talking to their captains about this possibility. Everyone wanted to continue digging. It was covered in the newspapers pretty heavily. But the police force didn't have the manpower to keep this project up and going and also keep up their own duties at the same time. So they asked the city for help. The city agreed to let some city workers go down and clear the lot and began digging it all up to see if there is anyone else in that ground to find. This was a massive undertaking and actually took quite some time, but they did not find any more bodies. December 1st, 1922, Reuben Norkin, the garage owner, was held with pending murder charges alongside Abraham Becker. The next day, Ruben was a little more open with detectives. Ruben was questioned for hours by Assistant District Attorney Albert Cohn, and when he realized what was against him, he started confessing to what had happened. He told ADA Cohn that he stood lookout when Abraham led his wife over to a car with its hood up, He showed her something that was under the hood, and when she leaned over to peer inside, Abraham took a metal pipe and brought it down hard on her head. To collaborate this statement, ADA Cone sent officers to search for the murder weapon. They soon found what they believed to be the pipe in question when they searched Ruben's shop. Although they never found any real evidence to support this, they also thought that Reuben might know what happened to a woman named Fanny Bloom, who disappeared four years earlier. She actually worked for Reuben's mother and she disappeared under very suspicious circumstances. Now, the most shocking thing that was discussed during the ADA Cones interview with Reuben was that he fully believed 100% that Jenny was alive when she was buried. Now, even though Reuben Norkin was not the killer, he had helped in several ways. He kept a lookout when the murder happened. He kept everything a secret until they were caught. The ADA had a decision to make, and Reuben was either a witness or an accomplice in this murder. It was quickly decided that he was, in fact, an accomplice. This was a major factor in this case because Reuben now faced the same fate that Abraham faced, the death penalty. Reuben's confession was very detailed. He told how, for weeks, Abe would talk about how he would kill his wife. He spoke of poisoning her, drowning her, and strangling her. He then borrowed a shovel to dig a pit that she would be buried in, and prepped the grave beforehand. The news of Reuben's confession was now national news. This news quickly made its way to the jail where Abraham was being held. Abraham wanted to speak and give a confession as well. When he met with ADA Cohn. Abraham accused Reuben of the murder, and this was actually within earshot of Reuben, who began shouting, You're a liar! You killed her! Don't you remember how we shook hands over the grave? Having them at odds worked in the ADA's corner. With them accusing each other, they both showed that either one of them or both of them were the murderer. The men were arraigned on December 7th, 1922, and both pled not guilty. The judge decided that they would have a very swift trial, that they would try Abe first that following Monday, December 11th, 1922, and then after that, they would try Reuben. They were not going to try them together because they were... Accusing each other of this crime It wasn't until December 18th that they could select a jury And this trial moving The state had 42 witnesses lined up But they didn't really need all of them Abraham testified but conveniently Could not remember the answers to just about anything that was asked to him They tried to establish his confession That Reuben was the real murderer but he says he forgot ever saying that. They asked about the ring on his wife's finger, and if the one found on the woman covered in lime was his wife's wedding ring, Abe stated that he was not sure, despite being the person who purchased that ring. They also asked who killed his wife, and he simply said that he did not know. When the case was handed over to the jury, they deliberated for one hour and returned with a verdict of guilty. Abraham Becker would be sentenced to death. He would die in the electric chair. He only smiled when he was given the verdict. Reuben Norkin's trial was much different. When he took the stand, he confessed to his actions but also stated that he was not guilty of the crime because he didn't murder anyone. He only acted as a lookout for his friend. Ruben didn't seem to understand that he did just enough in this crime to be considered in on it. He was an accomplice. Ruben was also found guilty of murder and was sentenced to death in the electric chair. Now, on December 14th, 1923, Abraham Becker was led into the death chamber. At 1218, he sat on the chair, and ten minutes later, he was pronounced dead. Just a few months later, on April 18th, 1924, Reuben Norkins was also led into the death chamber. This was on his son's birthday. He stated that the hardest thing about being put to death was being separated from his wife and children. He said that the crime that he was being punished for was not his fault. The only crime that he committed was keeping a secret. He still did not agree that he was an accomplice in this crime. Reuben Norkin was then put to death without any issue. The story is a sad one, but the story does come with a hero in Rebecca Baldwin, Jenny's friend who stepped forward and would not take no for an answer. She documented everything she could, and she made sure that her friend did not go in vain. Rebecca Baldwin is the real hero in this story. The district attorney and police officers did an excellent job in this as well. I do believe they got this correct. I do think that both Abraham and Reuben were guilty in these crimes. Reuben's punishment may seem harsh, but I do think that he was equally guilty in this murder. He not only helped facilitate a place for it to happen, but he kept a lookout and he helped dispose of the body. The only thing he didn't do was hit her over the head with a pipe. And by his own word, she was alive at the time that she was buried so if he assisted there then he essentially helped kill her i do want to mention before i sign off today that it is great to finish this story and be back researching and writing these stories we had some medical scares in our family and i had to make the decision that attending to that was more important thank you all for listening and And I have received some words of encouragement, and I highly thank you all. Um, It's it's really helped. For future episodes, I will not be releasing everything week after week. I don't want to feel time constrained when working on these episodes. I don't want to feel pressured to get something out when it's not all the way fully researched. And so I hope you all don't mind, since I am a one-man band over here that I do take the time to properly research these cases and get them out to you. I do have a ton of cases that I have done a lot of preliminary research on, and as I focus in on them one-on-one, I will be getting episodes out to you. So even if it's not weekly, it may be bi-weekly. There may be sometimes, I only get one out a month, but I can guarantee you a very detailed, well-written, and researched story. Again, I want to thank you all for listening, but most importantly, know that you matter, you are significant, and you are loved. I'll see you all next time. See ya.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place.